From APM, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Emily Hanford. You want to take gender studies? That's fine. Go to a private school and take it. But I don't want to subsidize that if that's not going to get someone a job. That was North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory speaking on a talk radio show back in 2013. McCrory was talking about cutting funding for liberal arts programs at public universities. Since 2007, public four-year schools have reduced the number of departments offering art history, English, literature, and the like. But in national surveys, corporate leaders say liberal arts majors have skills employers want, skills like knowing how to think critically and communicate well. Our guest this week is John Marcus. He's the higher education editor at the Heckinger Report, a nonprofit education news service. Marcus reports that not everyone has given up on the liberal arts. In fact, for a recent article, he visited one of the nation's top military academies and one of the most prominent cooking schools, where the liberal arts are thriving. John Marcus spoke with American Radio Works associate producer Suzanne Pico. You write that across higher education, institutions are dropping their liberal arts courses in favor of engineering, business, and more vocational disciplines. Why is this happening? Well, it actually makes a lot of sense. As the cost of a higher education has increased, parents and policymakers and students who are paying for their their own tuition, uh, they they want to know what they're getting for their money. And the shortest distance to the to the careers that they want, they think, are more sort of, for lack of a better term, vocational kinds of uh, of study. That is learning very specifically how to work in business or accounting or engineering or a field where there are jobs. But as you as you explain, surveys of employers say that they're actually looking to hire people with skills like critical thinking and communication, which form the core of humanities programs. So why is this mismatch happening between what employers say they want and what colleges are offering? There, there does seem to be a big disconnect, and I'm not sure that it's anybody's fault necessarily. I think that uh, a lot of um, parents and people outside of higher education uh, and outside of the very upper echelons of business haven't really put together the connection between what you learn in, for example, philosophy or history, uh, separate from the content of those courses, what you learn that can help you be a better worker, essentially. And those are skills like solving problems and communicating with other people and writing and working in teams. And those are the kinds of, uh, of skills that people suggest uh, you learn in the liberal arts. You may not be a history major. You may not major in philosophy uh, or English. But in those programs, you learn, for example, if you're an English major, you learn about the meaning of a work of literature in a way that requires you to use parts of your brain that might be the same parts of your brain you need to use to solve a problem in the workplace. There was a time when 17% of graduates had degrees in the humanities. It's now down to 6%. And I think a lot of people fear going into English or philosophy because, you know, popular culture also jokes about those fields. The, the old joke about, you know, what do you say to the English major on your porch? You say, how much do I owe you for the pizza? And those kinds of popular culture conceptions that those are dead-end majors, I think, have also contributed to their decline. For this story, you visited two schools, uh, West Point and the Culinary Institute of America. And both of these focus on very specific disciplines, and both require students to also take liberal arts courses. So let's sort of talk about each school in turn. Why does West Point prioritize liberal arts and humanities? 
so it was really interesting and, and sort of surprising to me because I uh, would have assumed that at a, a service academy like West Point, uh, they would have taught um, strategy and sort of very specific fields of study that relate to what these uh, men and women will go on to do as officers in the military. And they do, but not in the way that I expected. They, they teach a significant core of liberal arts courses and require them. Uh, and they also have majors. West Point is, is largely an engineering university, and so I think half of the students there major in engineering, but they're also, they also have um, majors in fields like philosophy. And one of the students that I met there, one of the cadets, who all of these people are incredibly impressive, talked about uh, majoring in, in philosophy and learning that uh, in philosophy there's no one right answer. And as he put it to me, that's very useful in the Army, that, you know, being more flexible and being able to think through more than one answer uh, can help you as an officer who's, you know, responsible after all for the lives of the men and women under his, his or her command. So those kinds of fields apparently do teach what um, West Point has decided you need to know to be a leader. And we thought that was very significant. And one thing I found really surprising in your article was there are three military academies listed in the U.S. News & World Report's annual uh, ranking of best liberal arts colleges. That's right, uh, which also was surprising. Uh, they weren't listed at all a few years ago just because they, uh, I, I'm not sure who's, whose decision that was, whether it was the service academies or um, or U.S. News, but um, at some point they began to be listed and ranked extraordinarily high up the list of the best liberal arts colleges in America, uh, colleges and universities. And again, you might be surprised to see the, a service academy. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure that I ever necessarily thought through what you learn at a West Point or, a, or at Annapolis, but, um, uh, but on closer look, it's a lot of liberal arts, and that was fascinating to us. Uh, we went up the Hudson River to the Culinary Institute of America, one of the foremost institutions that trains chefs. Anthony Bourdain went there and a number of other people. It's a spectacular campus um, with, not surprisingly, really good food. And the uh, chefs there, the students there, also are required to take a surprising number of liberal arts courses to understand sort of the cultural basis of the food that they cook uh, and, frankly, the people that they work with and be able to communicate with employees and ultimately, if they choose to open their own restaurants, as many of them will, um, write a business plan and know how to write and communicate. And you wouldn't have expected that at a university that teaches future chefs, but uh, they also have a very extensive requirement in the liberal arts. At the Culinary Institute, you spoke with Michael Sperling, the vice president for academic affairs. What was his thinking on, on why the liberal arts matter? He had several really interesting things to talk about, but his, his principal argument was that it wasn't about the content of these courses. It wasn't about the content or, or memorizing historical events or philosophical ideas. He was talking about learning, learning logic, and that affects how you deal with a business problem, um, uh, for example, in the future, or write a business plan. And what, one of the things that came away from there that was really very interesting as one of the many Americans that watches programs on the, the, all the cooking cable shows, uh, you hear that very famous response when the chef tells you to do something in the kitchen, you respond, yes, chef. And what they're trying to teach new chefs at the Culinary Institute is that that is often the right answer if it's time to serve dinner in your restaurant, but it's also helpful to have the uh, person under the chef, working under the chef say, why chef? 
and get an answer and get an explanation and an understanding. Uh, and that's what he said the liberal arts taught. The other thing that he said that was, I think, very interesting is that uh, a lot of other institutions were going in the, in the other direction because they were very, very job-focused that there's a level of anti-intellectualism in popular culture that works against the continuation of teaching these nuanced subjects in the humanities, such as philosophy or history or sociology or anthropology. But in fact, what you learn in those courses sort of deepens your understanding and ability to act in the world. And, you know, from a personal point of view, as a liberal arts major, I would add just sort of your ability to, to function in a, in a democracy, to be able to think. Um, and just to be trained to do something doesn't necessarily help you think. So what you learn how to do in the humanities, many of these experts said, was think. I imagine there are some you know, students who go to culinary school or go to you know, a military academy to learn how to, how to cook or to, to learn military strategy. Um, were all the students you spoke with enthusiastic about their liberal arts requirements? I asked that very question uh, at West Point, for example. And as you know, West Point takes the cream of the crop. Uh, these students said that they, uh, they had done a great deal of research, so they knew before they got there all about the liberal arts requirements. And so did the students at the Culinary Institute. Um, and in fact, the more they took these courses, the more they did appreciate how these fields would be helpful to them in their leadership careers and other careers. And yeah, you know, a lot of people will go to college or university or community college, for example, for uh, a degree that will simply help them get a raise or do a specific job um, in, a, in a, a field like IT. But what advocates for the liberal arts are arguing is that to be able to solve problems, no matter what you do for a living uh, and, and at what level, whether you're a leader or, or someone farther down the, the ladder, you do need to be able to work with other people to communicate uh, a problem or solution to a colleague or a supervisor and to solve problems in a creative way that they say liberal arts uh, can help you do. And so, no, you don't necessarily have to major in it, but it needs to be a component of the way you learn these subjects. This retreat from the liberal arts that you write about, you know, where states are less willing to support humanities programs than other more so-called practical majors. Are you hearing any concern that it could sort of deepen America's class divide? I mean, for instance, if you if you have to go to a private school to get a degree in the liberal arts, that seems like that could eventually be only be an option for those who could afford it. Well, that's a that's a really interesting question. Although it wasn't a part of this particular story, uh, I and my colleagues have been looking very closely at data relative to um, where certain people go to school based on their socioeconomic backgrounds. And what you see is that regardless of academic ability, uh, the wealthier students tend to go to flagship public and elite private universities and colleges, which have significantly greater resources to lavish on these students than community, the community colleges and regional public universities and colleges to which lower-income, first-generation and ethnic minority students go. So, yes, um, you know, you are much more likely to have available to you liberal arts electives and majors at an elite private or a flagship public university than you are at a community college. And as a result, yes, a lot of students who already arrived with less preparation uh, without college-going experience in their families they are ending up in institutions that don't have a lot of strength in the liberal arts. And according to advocates for the liberal arts, that means they'll emerge with less ability to solve problems, work in teams, and communicate. So um, we are putting some students at a disadvantage uh, 
because of their socioeconomic origins. Uh, there has been other um, research. I was actually just looking th- looking at this for another story that we're working on. Other research that says that uh, the people who hire workers at top companies in America tend to look for certain social cues. Uh, they look for people that have played sports in college and have certain um, extracurricular activities that are not available to students at community colleges, for example, in many cases, or at regional publics, or to students who are older than traditional age and are raising families while going to college or go to college less than full-time. So we are sort of widening the divide here, the socioeconomic divide and the opportunity divide, if, in fact, students, wealthy students are more likely to have access to these kinds of humanities and liberal arts programs than poor students. That was John Marcus speaking with ARW associate producer Suzanne Pico. Marcus is higher education editor for the Heckinger Report, a nonprofit education news service. We've linked to his article at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. That's where you can find more podcasts about education. While you're at our website, browse through our archive of more than 100 documentary projects. That's AmericanRadioWorks.org. We'd love to hear what this podcast made you think about. Let us know at AmericanRadioWorks.org. We're also on Facebook at American.RadioWorks. And you can follow us on Twitter. We're at AMRadioWorks. Support for American RadioWorks comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, Lumina Foundation, and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Emily Hanford. Thanks for listening. This is APM.